it's really nice to hear some clapping going on.
living God is able. He's able to call out the dry bones. Maybe you've been going through a dry season. Maybe this, this, all this epidemic, this, all this junk going on is got you in a low place. Maybe it's got you wondering what's going on, but my God is able. My God is able to save, deliver, heal, and restore. He's able to call the dry bones back to life again. And that's what we want to do this morning. Here we go. Somebody need to hear that. 
He hasn't forgotten about you. You might be in a dry place right now, and it feels like it's been forever. But God says right now, the Holy Spirit says, He hasn't forgotten about you. The plan that He has for you is still there. The plan He set before you and the passion that He gave you is still there. The desires that you wanted before are still there. You just have to hit listen for the sound. The sound of His voice as he calls you out this morning. Hmm. Let's see my God is able. I just feel like we're... somebody needs to hear that, hold on. God is able to save and deliver and
praise and a hallelujah to him this morning. Is the God of the valleys 
not a place Your mercy and grace will find me again Oh, there's nothing better than you, Lord There's nothing better than you, Lord There's nothing, nothing is better than you
the end of it. It speaks about books of remembrance that have been written. And you know, songs like this to me are songs of remembrance. When we begin to remember who he is and what it is that he's done, because I stand before you this morning uh, as a man that used to be a grave. My life was nothing but a deep pit of sorrow, of emptiness, of destruction. And when I met Jesus Christ, my life became a garden. Come on. Am I speaking to anybody this morning? Come on. I was just dead in my sins and in my transgressions and everything I touched, I would contaminate with death and with darkness. But when the Lord came, come on, you're not hearing me. When he laid down his life, it says, unless a seed first dies, 
and goes into the ground. It cannot reproduce itself. And when Jesus gave his life for me, when he shed his own blood, my life became a garden because I died as well. And my life began to produce seeds and plant seeds and produce fruit. Come on. I remember when my back was against the wall and I was addicted to drugs and I had no way out. He turned my seed into a highway. Are you hearing me this morning? Our God is good. Our God is faithful. I don't know how you walked in here this morning, but can I tell you, this is your second chance. This is your third chance. This is your fourth chance. I don't care if you blew it this morning on the way to church. He will take whatever you've done. Your ashes, he will turn into beauty. Your mourning, he will turn into joy. Because this is the Jesus that we serve. Okay? So I want you just again, one more time, say, there's no one. There's There's not anyone better than you. I know what the word says, but we're going to say, there's not anyone. There's no one better than you, Jesus. Amen. It's another moment. Oh, there's no one. No one. Better than you. Oh, there's no one. No one, Jesus. Better than you. the truth this morning. There's no one better than Jesus. No one better than Jesus. Better than you. Better than you. No one. There's no one. Better than you, Lord. There's no one. No one is better than you. Oh, there's no one. I hear him flipping the song. As we were singing that, the Lord began to sing over me. He began to say, there's no one that I love more than you. I hear the Lord singing that over us this morning, that there's no one that I love more than you. Come on, I want you to lift your hands and receive that. I feel that in this place, that some of you have walked in here with guilt, with shame, and with condemnation. And I want to tell you something, that if anyone be in Christ, there's therefore now no condemnation for you. The Lord says, there is no one better than you. There's no one that I love more than you, says the Lord, that I shed my blood for you. You are the reason that I died. That I despised the cross and the shame. You were the joy that was set before me, says the Lord. I love you. I love you. There's nothing you have done. There's nothing that you can do that will separate my love from you, says the Lord. Receive that this morning. Receive that this morning. There's no one. I love better than you. There's no one. No one is better than you. There's no declare that you are in the right place at the right time with the right people. I declare that you are not here by accident today, but by divine appointment, the Lord has brought you into this place. I want you to hear this preacher this morning. You are here by divine assignment. The Lord has something for you. Amen. Well, I want to be the first. Well, 
one of the first. I know the ushers have greeted you on your way in. Pastor has greeted you on the way in. I want to just tell you good morning. And it is absolutely a joy and an honor to see you in person this morning. Amen. Oh, my goodness. Amen. You know, I want to just make a declaration. And we know this, but I'm going to say it because we need to hear it. That the church is not a place that we go. Say amen. Church is not a thing that we do. Say amen. The church is the people that we are. The Bible says, for through Jesus, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fit together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. You see, we as the people of God, bought by the blood of Christ, are being built together as living stones. I'm going to show you in 1 Peter. Coming to Jesus as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Church is not a place that we go. Church is not a thing that we do, but church is the people that we are. And I want to declare to you this morning that some of you needed this, didn't you? Come on. Jesus is with you at home. He's with you when you pray. He's with your family. But there's power in the gathering of the church because this is who the church is. So I want to declare to you, you are in the right place at the right time. Amen. Well, good morning. Greetings. You can be seated if you will. I'm going to give just a couple of quick announcements. You know, things are a bit different. As you can see, when you come in, there's a little bit of distance between us. You know, Pastor... I love his heart. He said that the, the Bible says the two greatest commandments are to love God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. But then love your neighbor as you love yourself. And if you do these two things, you will fulfill all of the law and the prophets. Now, I know there are churches that are meeting together. There are some that have not opened their doors yet. Some are social distancing. Some are not. And, you know, in, in my you know, radical heart. I'd be like, well, you know what? I would just say heck with all of it and do. I can, we can have opinions and things, but I want you to hear me. I was reading in 1 Thessalonians this morning, and it says to honor our leaders and our pastors and those that God has called to watch over us. Amen. And God has put it in my heart to pray for Pastor Bob and Amanda and the decisions that they have to make. And you know what? As fiery as I can be and as excitable as I can get, I have chosen in my heart, even if I don't agree with some things that the government is doing or whatever, that I am going to honor my pastor in the way that we're going. Amen? And so we're doing the best that we can, you know, according to what the government is saying and what's in pastor's heart. But we need to honor those that have varying opinions until God, whatever God says to do, we're going to do. So I'm just glad that we're here in person this morning. Amen. Man, Pastor Bob, I would sit here every Sunday, and he'd preach to the worship team. But can I tell you, it's not the same. Because, if you know, I remember when I was a young, young, young in the Lord. I was like, man, I'd like to preach on TV. I don't want to do that anymore. He, Pastor Bob, was telling me stories how he used to pre-record 
three, four services in a row and they would air. It's just weird preaching to that camera. And you think that's weird. Every Wednesday night, I, I got to preach to pastor. <laughs> pastor Bob is in the sound booth by himself and I'm in here by myself. You want to say weird? What do I have to teach this guy? And I'm preaching to Pastor Bob. But I'm just glad that you guys are on the other side of that TV screen. So anyway, with that being said, for now, as you see, we're meeting together on Sunday mornings, 1030. Um, until further notice, uh, Pastor will let everyone know, we're not going to do Sunday night fire in person. It's just a lot to clean up in between services and all that. Wednesday nights, we're also going to just continue to do online, okay? So just stay posted. Wednesday nights will be online. Tune in. You know all the ways you can see it. We're doing Facebook Live now. We have a YouTube channel. we got Sermon.net. I mean, so many ways you can watch. So Wednesday nights will be that way. There will be no Sunday night service at all. But we're just believing in due season that, that we're going to be able to do these things and get back at it. So just be patient, but just be grateful. I was so grateful this morning in prayer, knowing that we were coming together with the body. And there's just a different energy, isn't there? When we all come together. And man, Brother Justin, the Holy Ghost, the songs you guys picked today were I'm telling you, that there, there, there's just something happening. I believe that. And so we want to encourage you, continue to be faithful in all that you do, including your giving. I say this every week. We're a generous church because God is a generous God. And he gave Jesus. He gave all. He's called us to be generous and to be faithful. So many of you have continued to be faithful during this time. And I've heard so many testimonies of families and businesses that are more blessed during an economic downturn than they were before. Why? Because God's people don't operate on earthly standards, but we are bound to kingdom economy, amen? That God is not bound to what happens on earth. He supersedes and overrides, has preeminence over all these things. But guess what? You can never operate in that if you aren't obedient to the written word, to the living word, Jesus. So continue to be faithful with your tithes, with your offerings, with whatever God calls you to do. Because in doing so, you come in covenant with God and he can continue to bless you. Is that all right? Amen. All right. Well, look, you're not going to be going around high-fiving everybody and doing your thing. But why don't you just look over across the room and wink at somebody. No, don't do that. Y'all were about to do it. Don't be winking at people. Just wave, love on them from across the room. I know God has spoken to pastor's heart, and I'm so excited to hear the word. But honestly, I know he's going to greet you from the bottom of the pastoral staff's heart. We love you so much, and we have missed you so much, and I'm excited for what's about to begin. Today starts a new season. I hope you know that. Amen. I don't believe you just did that. I believe I, you, do, you would do that. <laughs> Told him I said, I like having a cheering section up here. This is kind of cool. <laughs> I, was tell, I was telling a couple of guys the other day when they were here cleaning, uh, fogging the church and disinfecting the church. Uh, many years ago, I got invited to preach at a, a, a black uh, Baptist church down in the heart of New Orleans, almost down on the river. And it and how that whole story came about, I don't want to go into the whole deal, but it was it was like their hundred and fiftieth anniversary or two something like that of their church. And I was there called in to preach that Sunday night sermon message and it was just a trip. And because uh, my wife and I, we were like driving down it. I'm like, where are we in, in New Orleans? It was dark, couldn't see. I rolled down the windows, I could hear music. I said 
we go follow that choir wherever it's at. And anyway, they, uh, we walked through the door, and they took my wife and ushered her off one way, and the lady sat on one side, and the men sat on the other side, and, and they brought me up near the front, and I said, where's the pulpit? And they said, up there. <laughs> and it was one of them spiral things, you know, one up like, like that, you know. And, and uh, anyway, it was... It was wild, and uh, that organist had a little pit right here, you know, and so when I went to say hello, he's hitting keys, and I was like, oh, 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 wait a minute, back up, back up. Oh, yeah, let's find the range. Oh, yeah, you know, like that, and he, he I said, we're good now. <laughs> and so anyway, I was getting near the end of my message, and before I could, how they could tell I was winding down, and and here come a bunch of ladies running down the middle aisle, and they got the white gloves and the hats, and they got the hankies, and they're going, go, preacher, go, preacher, go, preacher. You know, don't stop now, go. I said, oh, you want more? Okay. So I backed up, and I, I just kind of felt, and I, I went on some more, you know. And about the time I was getting ready to, Giving out, bring it to an end. Here come the men. And they, and they got the gloves on and they go, Hank, go, preacher, go, go. And I backed up again and I, I went some more. And, and when I was about to quit, they were coming. I said, Stop. <laughs> I said, I can't go no more. <laughs> so I got my little group right here. <laughs> yeah, they'll be bringing twirly. Yeah, can you? Yeah, yeah, twirly. Well, anyway. Um, let me make a real quick announcement to you, if I can. Uh, can you put that up for me, Tracy? Uh, I'm, I preached a message last week called Preparing for Pentecost, and I talked about this very thing, um, and, and uh, really felt such a strong anointing last week on that message. But uh, I just want to let you know, if you haven't watched it, please go back and watch it, and, um, but if not, but... Beginning Thursday, we are calling the people in Lafayette, the people of God, to 10 days of fasting and prayer. I'm not here to tell you how to fast, whether that's a meal or, or a day or a week or 10 days, whatever. But fasting and prayer, we have, we've posted a, a page on Facebook. It's called Lafayette Revival Council. I've put a link on our private webpage. Uh, a life group page to that you can go and like it so that you can keep up with it. Uh, one of the things that's going to be is that we'll have a different theme every single day so that we're in one mind and one accord praying for the same thing. We're praying and believing for a fresh outpouring of Pentecost upon God's church. We desperately need that. Now, that date up there is not right. The 31st is Pentecost, so it's May 21st through the 30th. But uh, um, would you just consider praying and agreeing with us that you will fast and pray as God leads you over 10 days? They were 10 days in the upper room preparing. They did not know at the end of the 10 days, as I said last week, that God was going to come on Pentecost. They were there for the duration until something happened, until God, Jesus said the comforter was going to come. They didn't know what that was going to look like. They didn't know what was going to come from that. They, had, they didn't know when it was going to happen. It didn't matter. They were there for the duration. And I, I feel that same unction in my heart. We are here 
and saying, God, we are desperate for you. We are, we are needing a fresh outpouring of your spirit upon your church. And so we're just coming into agreement and prayer each night. Um, there'll be more details coming, but we pl the original plan is to um, do live video each night off that page, it leading in prayer together. Okay, so, you know, one night will be something else, one thing, one night will be another thing. Uh, I'll have more information for you in, in a day or so, but please, just please make a note of that if you would. Go to Lafayette Revival Council on Facebook, like it. That way you can keep up with what's going on, all right? Praise God. Well, I'm going to be reading from the book of Haggai again, chapter 2. Four weeks ago... I started preaching out of this, not realizing it was going to end up four weeks, a message coming out of this book of the scripture that has two chapters. And, and so let me just read this to you, and then let me get into the message right away. It says, the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. In other words, on the 24th day of the month, God spoke to the prophet twice with two separate messages, okay? And we've already talked about a couple of those and how they apply to where we are right now with what's going on in the world and in, the ch in church and what God wants to do. So he says, he says, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. Notice this, he's the governor. He's, he's not the priest, he's the governor. He's a politician, he's a leader, national leader. Speak to him saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth. I've got that shake the heavens underlined because we're going to come back to it later. And he says, and I will overthrow the throne of the kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations. I will overthrow the chariots and their riders. The horses and their riders will come down, every one by the sword of his brother. And on that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, says the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. And that is the title of my message, God's Signet Ring. Haggai was a prophet, uh, and, and if you read his four prophecies, his ministry wasn't very long that we know of. What was recorded was over a period of just maybe three, maybe four months at the most, and and he had four prophecies, distinct prophecies for that time that God gave him to deliver to the people of Israel. And I've already preached a couple of those messages, and they're all online. You can go back and look at it. But his overall theme seemed to be there's going to be a shaking. God's getting ready to shake things up. Yeah. Well, if you've been anywhere around Life Church for a while, God's been telling us prophetically and prophetic words and dreams and visions over the last couple years get ready that there was coming a shaking. And so uh, during this, this period of time, he delivers four prophecies. And so we've looked at them as how they apply to the present and how they're going to apply in the future. In other words, the, the analogy of application for our lives, okay? This past Wednesday, and I, I know this is going to sound strange because it seems like two of the three messages that I've already preached came from coming to prayer on Wednesday morning. Uh, 
Wednesday morning, we open the church at 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. for any of the men that want to come and pray. And so I, I woke up about 3 o'clock. I could not sleep. And, and believe me, I wanted to sleep, but I could not sleep. And, and I knew once my, I wake up, my mind's off to the races. Anybody like that? Thank you. I'm glad I'm not alone. You know, my wife, she can just, just flip right back over and she can go right to sleep. I'm so jealous, you know, <laughs> in a good way. But I'm like, how do you do that? And, um, and, but my mind's off to the races. And so um, I sat there for about 10 minutes thinking I could maybe get to sleep and finally realized I was fighting a losing battle. So I said, well, I got to go over to the church at 4.30 and unlock the church anyway, anyway for prayer. So just go make your coffee now and head to the church. So I came about 3.30 that morning. And, uh, and, and when I woke up and as I was making coffee, this prophecy that I just read, this scripture that I just read about the signet ring kept going over and over in my mind. And it, I wasn't on my mind when I went to bed. I hadn't been thinking about it, hadn't been reading about it during the week, but I kept hearing that. And so I came over about 3.30, and I, I took one of the uh, uh, throw things. Where's my black and white one? That's the one I use. Yeah, way over there. That, that's the one I use. I folded up after two knee replacements, and I folded up and kneeled right over there in that corner on that thing, and I just began to pray. And as I began to pray. I kept hearing my signet ring, my signet ring, my signet ring. So I, I got my Bible app out and I started scrolling through reading that, that prophecy from like about 18 different translations, trying to see was there something there that I wasn't getting. And, um, and so the Lord began to speak to me about that. He said, it, it, it's time, it's time for the message. It's time for this message, this prophecy. It's time. And I'm like, Okay, God, help me a little bit. So let me just kind of back up a little bit and give you some information about a signet ring and, and a couple of references out to it in Scripture. It's nothing. I just want to give you some foundation on it, okay? So a signet ring was more than a piece of jewelry. It wasn't just a ring that a king or a governor or somebody in authority wore. Um, it signified their authority of who they were. And you can see in the picture that what they would do many times in a proclamation or a declaration or a letter or something like that, they would melt wax and they would, the king would take that ring. He probably took it off so he wouldn't burn his hand in the hot wax, I would think. But he would take it and he would imprint it in that, ring, that wax and it would put his seal on it. And, and in, in it, it, it it stood for the fact that this was a decree or an order or whatever with the full weight of the king behind it, okay? Let me just give you a couple examples in the scripture. Um, in, in, uh, when Pharaoh, remember when Joseph uh, was able to discern the dream of Pharaoh and tell him what his dream meant, the Bible tells us that that Pharaoh took his signet ring off and put it on Joseph's finger. In Genesis 41, 41 through 42, it says, So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Hereby I put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. That ring was as important as a crown. 
okay? It, because it signified that with that ring, he had the full weight and authority. Everything that he did, everything that he said, every command that he gave, every word that he spoke had the full weight of the king behind it. And it was used to seal important documents that, that a king or a ruler would endorse. Another example is found in the book of Daniel. Remember when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den? And look what Daniel 6.17 says. And a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles. Dude, I mean, this was like seal, 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 right? I mean, it's like if, if this one breaks, this I mean, it was like added authority there so that Daniel's situation may not be changed. In other words, so that Daniel could not be let out. There was no doubt in anybody's mind. I wonder if that's the real thing. Well, there's one, and there's one, and there's one, and there's one. It was sealed, okay? And so um, when Jesus was buried, remember they took him and put him in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And in Matthew 27 and 66, it says this, And they went and made the grave secure along with the guard, and they set a seal upon the stone. Uh, the stone would be in front of the tomb. You know, a lot of times we have pictures of the stone being rolled in front. History shows that very few times was that a stone that was rolled. Usually it was a square stone or something that was moved and plugged into the hole. It doesn't matter whatever it was. I believe it was round because the scripture says it was rolled away. It doesn't say it was unplugged, you know. But even, even still, look what it says. It says that it was set with a seal upon the stone. Now, the stone could only be sealed in the presence of Roman guards who were left in charge. The reason for that was because they, they by them being there, they became eyewitnesses to the setting of the seal. They Otherwise, say they could come along and go, well, we don't know who put that thing on there, you know. And so it was done in the presence of, of the guards, and the purpose of that seal was to prevent anyone from tampering with the grave's contents. You remember the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, they were concerned that the disciples of Jesus may come and steal his body because they said, you know, that Jesus said after three days he's going to rise again. So they said, you need to seal it. Well, the process would be that the guards would inspect and make sure that the body was put in the tomb, the stone would be put in place, and then a cord would be stretched across the rock and fastened at each end with the sealing clay. And finally, the clay packs were stamped with the official signet of the Roman governor. And, and, and because the seal was Roman and it was verified by Roman soldiers uh, that Christ's body was there, it was, it was the full weight and power and authority of the, of the empire of Rome on those seals. And anyone who would try to move the stone would have broken the seal and incurred the wrath and the power of the Roman Empire, okay? And, and more than likely would have suffered the consequences of death. So that's what, that's what that's all about, okay? But the signet ring not only speaks of authority, the signet ring also speaks to identity. Uh, not just anyone. Look, you just didn't go down to the local store and go, you know, I, I want the king's signet ring. I want a copy of his ring. That didn't happen, okay? And, 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 
there were only certain ones that would be chosen to carry it, only certain ones that would be set apart for a task that would require the authority of the king or governor or somebody of that stature. And that meant that they had to have some type of relationship with that governing authority that they would even have that ring. It's not like the king would just pick some guy off the street and go, here, carry my ring. Everywhere you go, you have my authority. No, there had to have been a relationship that's there. God calls Zerubbabel his servant, not governor in the prophecy. He talks about that he was a governor, but he says later on, he said, but now I call you a servant. And it's a change in relationship there. Um, he was more than just a political leader. He was, in, he was being called into God's service, his plan. Okay, I want you to see that. He was being called into God's plan. Now, you don't hear much about Zerubbabel much after that. I mean, you can't say that real fast, five times. Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, you know. You don't hear much about the guy, again, in Scripture. But you know where you do hear him? His name again? In the book of Luke, in the New Testament, when they're listing the genealogy of the family tree, of Jesus. You didn't know that, did you? Luke 3.27. There it is right there. The son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri. So it's not insignificant that, his, that he was chosen. In other words, God says, I have a plan for you here, and the plan is going to have a lineage that's going to stretch over decades into generations. Okay, that, that ring not only carried authority and not only signified relationship, but that ring also signifies an authentic seal of approval. Now look, we know there are people who have authority who do bad things. So they, they may have authority and they may have had a relationship to be put in that place of authority we call it nepotism, right? But the king's signet ring meant that he would, the only reason you would have it and still have it is if you met with complete, authentic seal of approval by the governor or the king. The seal, that word seal means an acceptance, an endorsement, an affirmation, or approval. That's what, it, that's what it, the word means there. That's what it is, okay? Zerubbabel was going to become God's proxy and that God was going to use him. He was going to, he says, you will become, I will set you as my signet ring during this time. So God's saying, not only am I going to give you authority, not only do I see you and know your heart and everything else and that, that I can build, have a relationship with you, he said, but I put, I'm going to put approval upon you. I don't know about you. I'm the oldest of seven kids, and I grew up my whole life wanting the approval of my father. And 
I would just say most of the time live without it. The only time I got recognition was when I did something wrong, and that was a lot. But you know what? It was, it was a desire to, to get affirmation from him. I remember one time, one particular time in the eighth grade in a football game. I played offense, defense, you know, little league football, but I was the biggest guy on the, on the squad. And I remember I was on defense playing linebacker, Brother Elliot. They had a big old running back on the other side. He was over six foot in the eighth grade. And it hit, they were the Rams. We were the Bears. And they had them ram horns on the side of the helmet, red and white. I mean, they looked bad, you know. And when that boy, that guy would come at you and he put that head, it was just like a battering ram. And, and, and guys on my team, they would just run the other direction. Coach looked at me and said, get in there, stop him. I never played middle linebacker. I said, yes, sir. I took off running, told the other guy, get out of here. And I was like, that guy shift, I'd shift and move, you know, and I said, I just remember the coach telling me, you don't look at his head, you don't look at his eyes, you look at his belly, because that's what I want you to hit him. And, and so they handed him the ball. I mean, sure, they're gonna, you know they're going to give him the ball, come right at me. And so I saw him coming, he put his head down, and I put my head down, and we collided head to head. Boom! We both went flat down on the ground. Poof! And I stood up kind of like this, and his helmet had cracked in half and fell off. And I heard from the stands, way to go, Bubba! And I knew that was my dad. The one football game he came to, he, everybody looked, that's my boy did that, my boy did that. And they carried off that guy, he never did come back in the game. I stood in the middle like that and looked at the next guy they sent in. He was a runt compared to that other guy. He looked at me and he was like, don't give me the ball. I ain't going to run towards that guy. <laughs> he split that guy's helmet in half. You know, and I'm serious. I, 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 but I, I say this because what I was wanting was the seal of acceptance from my father. And when I, when I became a Christian, unfortunately, I carried that same hurt and everything in my heart, and I felt like I had to try and earn the affirmation and acceptance and, of my Father in heaven, and I could never do enough and never be enough and all of those things, and I'll never forget the day when God met me driving down the road and, and finally just said, quit trying to prove yourself to me because I can't love you any more than I already do. And at first I thought, that meant he don't love me enough. And he says, I love you. I am love itself. I don't give myself in degrees. I am love. And I pulled off the side of the road and bawled and squalled like a baby because I understood for the first time the Father's love. It was like he had put his seal of acceptance upon me. Somebody here needs to hear that this morning because I had not planned to say that. Quit trying to prove your worth to him. He's already done that by the sending of his son, Jesus. 
I challenge you to go through the scripture and, 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 and look at the different types of seals that are mentioned in the scripture. I could do a whole lesson or two on, on that. But I want you to see something. When Jesus Christ came to earth in flesh, he came as the living signet ring of the Father. See, Jesus, the Word became flesh. So through Jesus, the Father in heaven impresses his own majesty, his own thoughts, his own words, his own character, his own images on us who were created in his image and likeness. This is borne out in the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. And it says, And he, speaking of Christ, is the radiance of his glory, the Father, and, and the exact representation of his nature, again, his Father, and upholds all things by the word of his power. In other words, Jesus came as the exact representation he's the signet ring of the father do you see what i'm saying there he and he came not as the signet ring of, of of the father as god but as man the word became flesh because if he came as God, and please try to understand what I'm saying here, because a lot of people think that, well, Jesus didn't suffer when he died because he was God. He was made flesh. He felt everything as we feel. He, he knows what rejection feels like. He knows what desertion of your friends feels like. He, he knows what it is to have people speak evil about you. He knows what it is to have people try and use you and manipulate you. He knows all of those things. And, and, and what I'm saying here is that he, he came as the living signet ring of God in flesh to show us the will of the Father. And, and he, he stamped his legal ownership of the Father on earth. He said, because whatever you hear me say or whatever you see me do, I do because my Father told me. He said, I didn't come for myself. I came as the signet ring of my father, putting his approval, putting and speaking his authority here on earth. So you're thinking, well, what does this have to do with anything? Well, okay, let's go back to the prophecy. and Let's look at this verse in verse 23. And it says, and I will make you like a signet ring. That, that, that phrase, I will make you, is, a, is one word, really. It's, 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 and it means to put or to place or to set, to appoint, to make, to ordain, or to establish. That's what it means. So God was telling Zerubbabel that he's going to place, establish, appoint, ordain him as his proxy. In other words, he said, at this moment in time, in this spirit, linear space of time where we are at. Use Zerubbabel. I will set. I will place. I will appoint. I will ordain and establish you as my signet ring. That's what he was telling them. At this moment, 
in history. This is what it's all about. And boy, when I started thinking about that, I said, okay, God, now I think I'm, tying, I'm getting a picture of what you're saying to, saying to us. And, and not only that, but through his lineage, the Messiah would eventually come and establish it for all eternity. See, we, we tend to think in the now. And what we need to understand is that God, yes, God understands now where we are. He understands the need and the moment where we are. But he's also looking down the road and he's looking all the way to the end and we can't see that far. And then we start wondering why. Why is this happening? Why did this happen? Why did this person die? Why did this sickness come? Why did my business fail? Why, 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 why? And so, as I was praying early that morning, and I, I, I began to hear doors open and close, but I, I didn't want to be distracted. I wanted to really hear the Holy Spirit. I said, okay, Lord, what are you saying about the church? Because I'm dealing with the now. I'm, I'm dealing with the present you know, I've listened to all the webinars and everything out there. The message is you should be telling your church people to make them feel comfortable and welcome and, you know, just, you know, calm them, whatever. And, and I've, they said, this is what your people want. And I'm like, well, well don't tell the Holy Ghost because that's not what he's telling me to say. And then I said, God, I think there's something bigger here. He said, it is. And, and so I was kneeling there praying and, and, and as I was kneeling there, it was like all of a sudden God turned on this giant movie screen in my spirit, okay? Not with my eyes, but in my spirit. I, I began to see things as they transpired. I had a teacher in Bible college. He was such an incredible teacher that I, I would get mesmerized listening to him teach, and I could picture him as he was speaking, it was, like, it was like watching it on TV. You know, when I was younger, I could read something one time and remember it, which really worked good since I didn't study. But the night before a test, I'd read it, remember it, get 100, whatever, no big deal. And so I remember when I went off to Bible college, he was the first teacher, the first class I had was on the book of Genesis, 50 chapters. And he says, here's the final exam. You're going to have to put 250 things that happened in the book of Genesis in chronological order. That's your final test. If you, if you fail your final, you fail the class. He says, so I'm recommending to you now, if there's 50 chapters and you need 250 things, there's going to be five things in each chapter, maybe. Go back and take index cards out of each chapter, like on one card, write one thing, you know, chapter one, chapter one, this, this, and, and start learning them in chronological order. My roommate was a junior in college, and he said, I'm telling you, buddy, you better start doing that. I didn't do that. I, I just sat and listened because this teacher, he was like, as he talked, it was like I could see it happening. And the night before that test came, and uh, my roommate said, are you ready for the test? I said, yeah. He said, where's your cards? I said, ain't got no cards. They all appeared. He said, well, you'll learn. I aced it. You know why? 
Because when I'd read it, all of a sudden I could hear his voice. I could see what I had seen playing out. He was, he was so incredible in his teaching. And um, so it was like that moment I was over here praying. I said, Lord, what are you saying? He said, and all of a sudden it was, is, I don't know how to say it, but it was as, as if I was transported to the event in John chapter 11 where Lazarus is raised from the dead. I, I don't know how to explain it. It was on the inside, but it was, it was almost just like watching a television screen. And, and it seemed that I watched Jesus after talking to his sisters. I watched him climbing up to the tomb where the stone was in place, where they had buried him. It was, it was like I could hear the murmuring of the people as they watched him going to the tomb, murmuring among themselves, wondering, what is the guy up to? What does he think he's going to do? He's been dead four days, and there's a huge stone in front. I, I, I could hear, as it were, um, the sisters, Mary and Martha, telling Jesus, you don't want us to roll that stone away, because by now it's the fourth day, and he stinks. They didn't embalm bodies. They just wrapped them in ointments and, and, and aromatic herbs and things. But the body began to decay. He said, by now he stinks. And, and, um, and I'm, I'm seeing this. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit reminded me. He said, when did Jesus find out that Lazarus was sick unto death? I said, three or four days earlier. Go back and read it for yourself. They came and said, your, your friend Lazarus is dying. And, and they've called for you to come that you might touch him and heal him. So I, I imagine the, the, the disciples heard what was said and they're like, pack him up, boys, we're moving. But Jesus just stayed there. He just camped out right there. And I imagine they were thinking to each other, why isn't he moving? And imagine one of them listen, ask him. You ask him. I'm not going to ask him. Come on. Get Peter to do it. He'll, he always opens his mouth when he ain't supposed to open it. You know, ask, let him ask. I mean, I mean, I can see this. And maybe they're thinking, well, maybe he's going to wait till after we eat lunch or whatever, you know. And, but that day goes by, another day goes by, and, and finally Jesus says, okay, now it's time to go. And they're like, now? And they said, now. And so th they didn't understand what God was doing, but we're told in the scriptures that the, they didn't understand that this sickness was not for a case to be healed but for someone to die and be raised from the dead. See, the one who came in the image of the father with the signet ring understood what God's plan was. But those boys that were with him, that had been with him for almost three years, they didn't understand it. And, and uh, I began thinking, Lord, there's so many in your church today who over the last several weeks have been asking why? Why is this happening? 
Why, why are we being subjected to this? Why are we doing what we're doing? Listen, I appreciate what Pastor Elliot said, but uh, he didn't tell you that I had already met with our church board the week before and we had already determined that we were opening today whether we had the governor say so or not. We felt like that we had abided by every, gone the distance and gone the extra mile but felt in the spirit that there was something about to happen and we needed to get in alignment with what God was saying. So I was just thrilled, the governor. I, I said, Lord, I hope he can't sleep tonight before that announcement. I did. He said, well, that's not very nice. Well, the Lord said, pray for those in authority. He didn't say how to pray for them. <laughs> Come on now. Lord, let somebody speak some sense into somebody somewhere who's in authority. If not, it's time for the church to rise up. And, 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 and this was what was on my heart last week while I'm in prayer. I'm like, I'm feeling this, this unrest all week long. I told Pastor Elliot, for like eight nights in a row, I dreamed that I wasn't quite asleep. Have you ever, have, have you ever been slept but you didn't sleep and you knew you weren't asleep? Eight nights in a row I dreamed I wasn't asleep and knew that I wasn't asleep. And for eight nights I was exhausted. High up the next morning I was, I was so miserable and so tired. And this unrest on the inside, unrest. I said, God, what are you saying? And that's when I began to feel. He said, put the 17th, the 17th, 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 new life, new life, new life. Well, guess what? 43 years ago today, my son was born on the 17th of May. And I said, new life came in. And, and I said, listen, an hour after he was born, he's up on his elbows in, in the bed looking around like this. I said, looking for mischief. That's just what he was, you know, just like his dad. But I, I did. I began to think. He, the Lord was saying, new life, new life, new life, new life, new life. And so I kept feeling this in, in my spirit. And so I began to pray. And, and, and it was like the Lord was saying, you've been wondering. The people have wondered, why? Where is God? I have read so many articles. Where is God in the pandemic? Where is God in all of this? Where is God? By all these different theologians and Christian writers. And I wanted to say, I'll tell you where he's at. He's right here. And what you need to do is just what it says in the book of Revelation. He that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And the church is you. And you and you and you and you and me. He's speaking. It's not a problem of him speaking. It's about a problem of us hearing. And so I said, God, people are asking, why aren't you doing something about that? And uh, then it was like all of a sudden I was back to that thing again, and I was watching, it. you know, I don't think Mary and Martha moved the stone. You know, Jesus told them to move it, but they obviously didn't move it. They had somebody that worked for them, whatever, move the stone. And so in my mind, it was like in my spirit, I could see all of a sudden that, 
stone being rolled away and then Jesus standing before the opening of that tomb. And in fact, in John chapter 11, look what it says. And he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And uh, mm, we sang about dry bones this morning, didn't we? Mm -mm -mm -mm. Pastor Justin, that might be the song right there. I don't know. But, uh, you know, theologians have said for years, scholars have said, why did he say Lazarus come forth? Because with the authority of the signet ring of the Father in his presence here on earth, if he had stood there and said, come forth, every single dead body would have come out of the grave. He directed his words for that moment in that hour. Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible says he didn't come walking out going. Because if you go into any of those tombs, you'll see that you kind of step down into them. It says, and he came. He was wrapped. He was bound in grave clothes. I don't know that he hopped or if he just levitated to the front of the tomb. I don't know. Not going to speculate. Either way, I guarantee you, the people in the crowd were like, oh. right? And Jesus turns and says, take those grave clothes off of him. And he turns and walks away. Man, I, I could see this. And, and it says, and he who was dead came out his hands and his feet wrapped with gray clothes and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. And when I began to see that, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit began to speak to my heart. He said, for the past couple months, the church has been out of sight. It's been as if it's been put in a tomb with a stone rolled in front of it and the rest of the world doesn't even recognize that it's gone. And people have been saying that the government's going to shut it down and people were saying that the church is never going to be like what it used to be. Let me give you a hint. That's exactly right. Do you think do you really think that after being dead for on the fourth day, Lazarus coming up from the grave, taking the grave clothes off, do you really think that he went back to being the same old Lazarus he had always been? I don't care if he had been an introvert. I don't know, I don't know what kind of person he was. He was wealthy. He, he had influence because there was, they had hired mourners to come and mourn while he was dying. So he had great influence, and he was right outside Jerusalem. Jesus did this on the way to Jerusalem in his last part of his ministry, right? I mean, and so, but I guarantee you, you're not dead for three-plus days, and then you come out of the grave after three and a half, four days, and go back to being the same old guy that you always were. I guarantee you, now just listen to me a little bit. Let's say Lazarus used to love to fish. And every conversation, oh man, I love fishing. Got me a new rod and reel the other day. Woo, man, got me, got me a new boat. Got me, can't wait to take that thing out, man. Or, or, or maybe, you know, no, no, no. I don't even think he thought about fishing no more. 
I don't think he thought he talked about any of those things. I think his mindset was completely flipped around and his focus was completely changed because he had been dead and now he's alive. I'm not talking about dead for 30 seconds that popped up off the table because they punched him with some electricity to get his heart going again. I'm talking about stinking dead. Come on now. That's what the Bible says. And, 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 and as I thought about that, and, and that everybody's saying, man, well, church will never go back to being what it's like. When we set these chairs up the other day, the guys that were helping do it, they said, this is cool. And I said, it really is. And, and, and they said, it looks bigger. Guess what? There's more chairs out here now than we've had before. We just got them pushed to the walls. I mean, we got to move back. I mean, there's six feet. You can dance, shout, kick, flip, flop, do whatever, right? And, and, I, and, and I said, so what are you trying to say? And I wrote this down not to miss it. I'm closing. He said, do you really think Lazarus was the same when he came out of that grave? I don't know how long he lived before he died. See, there's a difference being, of being raised from the dead and being resurrected. He was raised from the dead. So he died again. I don't know how long he lived, but I guarantee you as long as he had breath in him, there was one thing that would always come up in the conversation. Probably 35, 45, 55 times a month. Have I told you about the time Jesus came and pulled me out of the grave? That he called my name and I was in, the, I was in paradise with Abraham and I heard Lazarus. He said, all of a sudden, my spirit went right back into my body, and there I come out of the grave. He said, have I told you that story? And I can imagine all the grandkids going, hey, Pop, yeah, you've told us that story. Did I tell you about the part? Yeah, you told us about that part. Did I tell you? Why? Because I'm telling you, when Jesus pulls you out of a grave and he breathes life into you, there should be a dramatic change that takes place in your life. So he began to speak this to me and I began to write this down. Holy Spirit was saying, that which I love was dead, I am now calling forth. Lazarus, the Bible says, he loved. It says Jesus wept. When his sisters told him, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And it says that Jesus wept because he loved Lazarus. He loved him. And so he says, he says, that which I loved was dead, but I am now calling it forth. I am not calling it forth to be as it used to be. Hear me. Jesus, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I am taking off the grave clothes and like Zerubbabel, I am calling forth my church out of that place of hiding, out of that place where you're not recognized, not seen, and I am going to make my church my signet ring here on the earth. 
He said, it's not about going back to the same old, same old with the way it was. He said, because that was not pleasing. He said, as much as I love Lazarus, I let him die for a purpose. He said, and as much as I love my church, I let it go into hiding, into obscurity for a reason. He said, because in there, there have been a people who have been crying out for me, saying, God, I'm desperate for you. There's no one like you. There's nothing on this earth like you. And all of a sudden, I hear a roar, a cry going forth saying, Church, come forth. Let me tell you the rest of the way. He said, I didn't give you life so that you could rot in the tomb of nothingness. I brought you forth to decree on my behalf. And now you are my proxy on the earth for I will set you as a signet ring. I mean, you may be thinking that's kind of wild. Oh, really? Well, what did, what did Jesus say right at the Great Commission? Matthew, he goes on, what did he go on there and say? He said, all authority, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Listen, he was already in authority in heaven. He came to earth to restore authority that Adam once had and that he traded it away through his sin. And now he says, I'm giving you my authority. Go therefore in my name. Go therefore with my signet ring as my signet ring and preach to the nations and do signs and wonders and make disciples for my kingdom. That's what he's saying. But then he reminded me, he said, son, don't forget, there's a second part to the prophecy. A second part. I said, a second part. And I went back and looked. It says, and I will shake the heavens and the earth. Okay? Listen, God is already shaking the earth. He's been shaking the earth. And he's still shaking the earth. But in this prophecy to Zerubbabel, God promises to him and his to descendants protection amid all the shaking that was going to come. But there's more than that. I mean, there's more than that. He's saying, you're my signet ring. He said, I'm setting you as a solid. Remember, one of the words was to establish, to set in place. When the shaking begins to happen and everybody's like, oh, it's going to happen. God's people are to be established. But he said, there's more than that. He said, I am going to shake the heavens. He said, you have seen a shaking of the earth, but there is coming a shaking in the heavens. I began to pray. I said, Lord, what, tell me what you mean by that. Because being a Bible prophecy teacher, I always think you know, about the things in the tribulation and the sky being blacked out and the moon turning to blood and all that kind of stuff. He said, no, 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 no. He said, you're missing it. Go back to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. And what does it say? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers and against authorities, against the powers of the dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And I sense the Holy Spirit saying, when you come forth out of the tomb and I take those grave clothes off of you and you catch hold of what I'm saying and you let me put that ring on your finger, he said, you realize at that moment, he said, I'm not only going to shake the earth every place that you go, but I'm going to shake the authorities in the realm of darkness. He said, when they see you coming, 
You're such a sweetheart, and I love you so much. <laughs> but I'm telling you, you petrified the kingdom of darkness. Because it's not how boisterous you are or what facade you can put on. It's the knowing. I am an ambassador for the king. Amen. I am his signet ring on this earth. So greater is he who is in me than he Amen. who is in the world. Amen. Who is the he that is in the world? The kingdom of darkness. I'm just telling you, God is saying, I'm not only going to shake the earth, but I'm going to shake the heavenly realms of darkness. And those that recognize the call to come out of the tomb in this hour and those who are ready to rip the grave clothes off and those who are ready to receive the prophetic call to become the signet ring of the King of the Lord Jesus Christ, those who are ready to begin to execute upon the earth the word of the Lord, there is going to come not only a shaking in the heavens and a shaking on the earth, but there is going to come a wave of glory ushering Amen. in an, a revival unseen in times past. Amen. Now listen to me. I said I was quitting, I'm quitting, but I'm gonna tell you this. Do not think because this God has said this, that the enemy is gonna roll over and run away. See, some people say, well, I don't like those kinds of messages. I get so excited in church and then all hell breaks loose. Well, yeah, because you went and said, that's mine. I take hold of that. It's mine. It's mine in Jesus' name. I will be his representative. I will be his proxy owner. I will be part of his kingdom. Lord, you're the king. Put a ring on my finger that I know and wherever I go, in Jesus' name, it's done. It's done. There is coming a difficult time for the church. I'm telling you, it's coming. The spirit of Antichrist has already been loosed upon the land and it's, it's for that reason that I'm hearing the voice of the Lord crying out, come forth, church. Listen, this isn't the season to sit back and think revival's just gonna fall out of the sky like ripe peaches off a tree. The Bible says that the, the, the kingdom suffereth violent and the violent take it by force. And literally what that last part means is that there's, there's a shaking, there's a battle, there's, there, there is a warfare that's going on. He says, but the violent, or he says those, those who take it by force, those who press in will take hold of the, of the kingdom of God. Press in, press in. This is the time to recognize the Lord's calling his church to come forth. This is the time to recognize that he's called you to make you a signet ring on the earth. And I only have one thing to ask. How many of you are ready to come out of that tomb? How many of you are ready to answer the call? How many of you are ready to say, Lord, here I am. Do whatever you 
have to do, but God, I want to be your signet ring on the earth. Would you just stand right now? If that's your heart, that's where you're at. If you if you got a child sleeping in your hand, just stay there, put your hand up, whatever, that's fine, I understand. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the Holy Ghost. I thank you for the word of the Holy Ghost in this day and hour. I thank you, Lord, for your word that stands true through the ages. You're the rock of the ages, and you shall not change. But God, I can hear that roar. I can hear it in the under realm. I can hear the word saying, come forth. And the church is coming from the four winds, the four corners of the earth. There are those who are hearing it, who have been before were nominal believers just sitting there going through the routine. But all of a sudden they feel like they've been dead. They've been passed over. And now all of a sudden they're hearing something from far off and it's the Lord saying, come forth. For there's a purpose in this hour. I will make you my signet ring for the time in which you are. Father, in Jesus' name, we respond to the call of the Holy Spirit. We respond to the call of the Holy Spirit. Yes, Lord. sitting home it's time to press in yes press in come on Lord we need you Father come fill this room come on fill this room come on church didn't come out of that tomb whispering I guarantee you there was a shout waiting to be released Woo! Holy Ghost Holy Ghost you worship you 
Right. 
receive communion together. Look, it's been eight weeks. Y'all got a few more minutes, huh? Pastor Elliot, why don't you come and lead us, my brother? Now, in case some of you aren't familiar, this, there's bread under the little lid of the little thing, and then there's a lift tab for the cup, okay? Because I know I saw some people doing like this, shaking it earlier, trying to figure out where it was. It's all in there, all right? Praise the Lord. First time I ever pulled my communion out my pocket. <laughs> now, as Pastor was preaching, I have one, Pastor. Thank you. <clears throat> I know we're ready to go, but I don't want you to check out. You've got to get this before we go. I've never led communion this way. The Lord has just spoken something to my heart, and it is for such a time as this. You're familiar with Matthew 26. This is where. Jesus and the apostles were in the upper room on the Feast of Pentecost. Well, I mean, for Passover, they were eating, sharing the Passover meal together. And this is what Jesus shared with them. And they didn't know it before he spoke these words, but this was to be the last Passover that he shared with them. He said, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread, he blessed and he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples and he said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Now, typically I would stop reading there, but the Lord said, keep going. Now listen to what Jesus says. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Church, I'm telling you, we're missing something. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 14, it says, The disciples of John came to Jesus, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. And when Jesus was with his disciples during Passover, he said, I will not drink from the fruit of this vine until the day that we are together in my Father's kingdom. I said we're missing something. You see, when pastor declares a fast, I don't want you to miss what God is about to do in this season. You see, communion and fasting are not only exercises and disciplines of obedience to the Lord, but these are exercises of longing. Now, when I receive communion this morning, I'm receiving it with longing that this is good. And this is obedience. Yes, Lord, I will eat and drink of your blood and your body, thanking you in remembrance of what you've done, what you've done. But I also remember that this isn't 
all there is. This isn't complete because there's a day that's coming that I will eat and drink with you in your presence. At the table with him, the marriage supper of the Lamb, that it's coming. He said it would be so, that the Lord is coming again, and we will sit with him at his table. When death is put under his feet, there will be no more tears, no more sadness, no more sickness, no more disease. The day is coming. But do you know why we fast? We're fasting because we're longing for him to come. He may not come physically and receive the church at Pentecost, but he will come and he will pour out his spirit on us again. We fast as longing for his presence to come because what we have is not enough. Not that we're not satisfied with him, but he says that there's more and we want all of him, amen? So this morning as we take communion, we're gonna take it and thank him for his body unto healing, for his broken body unto healing, and for his blood unto redemption, the salvation, uh, the forgiveness of sins. But we are also going to take it this morning saying, Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come quickly. We long to see you. And until we see you on that day and eat and drink of this fruit of the vine with you in your Father's kingdom, we ask that you would bring a fresh Pentecost. Amen. I don't want you to take this time of fasting lightly that our pastor is declaring it is a God thing. It is the will of heaven that we cry out for more. And when we do so, I don't even want to know what's going to happen, but I'm ready. Are you ready? Can we open this bread together? Just open the bread, put it in your hand, and get the cup ready as well. own discretion we'll take it one after the other I want you just to begin to thank him (laughs) Lord I don't know what has happened in these eight weeks but it's different today's so different it's so different there's nothing religious about what we're doing this is life this is real this is the kingdom you're here and Lord this I'm sorry this tasteless little thing this cracker we're holding in our hand it just represents so much your body broken that we can receive healing and health wellness and we thank you for your body broken because of what you've done for us we will be with you you will keep your word. This is a promise that we hold to because if this isn't true, then we're wasting our time. We above all men would be reckoned the most miserable for our faith that is not real, but we know that it is real. We thank you for your body today. We receive this bread saying, Maranatha, Lord. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come quickly. We do this as an exercise of longing, knowing that this is but a symbol of what is to come, that we will be around that table with you and the Father, and we will look upon the Lamb who shed his blood for us, and we will be with you forever. But until then, God, our work is not complete. So we ask you in this season of fasting that is coming next week, 
this week, Thursday, that you would be with us and give us the grace. You said that the friends of the bridegroom do not fast while he is with them, but the day will come that they will fast. And these are the days of fasting because there's something missing. And we long to be with you, Lord. You can take the bread, and then as you take the cup following, I'll pray with you. You said, take and drink this cup, all of you, for it represents the new covenant in my blood that is shed for the remission of sins, to forgive the world of their sins. And Jesus, we take this cup this morning, thanking you for your blood that covers our sin, that has made us a new people, that we were once not a people afar off, and you have called us to be your own people. So Jesus, thank you this morning that you have called us. Thank you for shedding your blood. We receive forgiveness of sins, redemption from a lost disposition, and we thank you that we've been found and we are loved. And there's a plan and a purpose for our lives. And the greatest days of the church are not behind her, but they are ahead of us, Lord. So we take this cup together this morning, celebrating your victory over death on the cross. And we declare life church is going to be the heartbeat of new life in Lafayette and in this region. So, Lord, we ask that you would bless your church as we take this cup this morning. We should have did it before we drank it, but I want you to hold up that empty cup, and I want you to look at me, and I want you to say, Maranatha. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Well, today was special. This is the tip of the iceberg. We're just getting started. Amen? Amen. Amen. Look, don't be in a rush as you go. Greet somebody. Love on them. But remember, when we start this fast this week, it is an exercise of longing. That's what God told me. Exercise your longing for him, and he will come. Amen? Amen. Be blessed as you go. We'll see you Wednesday night online, and then we'll be back Sunday morning. And, we love you guys.